Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Individual retailers are making their own decisions. Some are lifting mask mandates like Home Depot, Target, Walmart, and Starbucks. Wow, Starbucks will no longer require masks? That's huge. I'm sorry, uh, that is venti. <laughs> but some stores will want you to mask, like Walgreens, Rite Aid, Home Goods, and TJ Maxx. Well, I'm surprised about TJ Maxx. That's pretty restrained behavior for a store that sells throw pillows and off-brand salsa on the same shelf. <laughs> <laughs> then there's, like, World Market. You ever go in a World oh, Market? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's they a market furniture, of wine, and just it's a, like every conceivable product, but just like two of each. And a great candy selection for some reason. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Kids love the World Market candy selection. Huh. I've never even glanced over there. Um. Well, you wouldn't as a grown-up, probably. No, no um, I had no idea. But Walmart, Starbucks, all these giant stores, Target saying you don't have to wear a mask. Except if you live in California, for instance, where you still have to wear a mask, even if you're vaccinated. Just for no for no reason whatsoever. No no reason what's a freaking ever not a reason i mean I, how does that happen in a democracy i can answer that if you give me 10 seconds to walk over to the printer okay go ahead say something fascinating and or amusing i got sl- a little bit of breaking news uh the biden white house is announcing they expect a real de-escalation by israel today they just got off the phone with them so netanyahu's netanyahu is apparently feeling like he did what he has to do and is going to scale down later today. So there you go with that. Back well, I had my the... headphones off. Folks, how'd he do? Was it fascinating, amusing, or both? Uh, it was an update on Israel. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, they're scaling down today, according to the Biden White House. Now back to the masking. Why can Walmart and Target say, you don't need to wear a mask? The government, the federal effing government, just said vaccinated people don't need to wear a mask indoor or outdoor. Fauci, the most careful man on earth, says... He's not going to wear a mask. An old man is not going to wear a mask indoors because he's been vaccinated. But the state of California is going to make people do it for another month. How do you justify that? Would somebody please make them justify it? That They should have to justify this sort of behavior. The red-shirted man with a face equally red is crying out for answers, and I have answers. <clears throat> Here's why. A preliminary answer. Who owns the state of California? Public employee unions and the trial lawyers. Own it lock, stock, and barrel. It is all about the lawyers. Uh, I'm not sure whether uh, she wants to be anonymous, but this is one of our favorite uh, through-the-years political connections. This is a a person who really knows uh, what she's talking about. Newsom isn't going to lift the mask mandate because doing so raises raises legal uncertainties about a stupid law passed by the legislature that puts employers on the hook for employees who get COVID. Newsom signed legislation that established a workers' compensation presumption that will apply to most employees in the state that have an outbreak through the end of 2022. They shift the burden. That means the, uh, the, the, the employer has to prove their employee did not get COVID at work. And it, uh, let's see, da, 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 da. The workers' comp requirement lasts until 2023. Uh, da, da, da. There's a lot of skepticism in policy circles about what Newsom is allowing regulators to do behind the scenes that n- nobody's talking about. Cal OSHA 
is trying to pile on new mandates for employers, like requiring them to provide N95s for non-vaccinated employees. It'll take a while for all this to come to light, but I predict, she writes, that a couple of years from now, the hastily instituted COVID employer regulations will set up employees to sue employers for slight oversights on par with the Prop 65 lawsuit madness, the uh, wheelchair Nazi stuff. So this is all passed at the behest of the trial lawyers, so they have a giant new world of lawsuits to hit California employee uh, employers with. Okay. And he can't, he can't say, no, it's fine, everybody take off your mask, because it's incongruous with those laws passed at the behest of the people who have the choke chain around his neck, mm-hmm. the trial lawyers. Interesting. Yeah, it's a California so mobbed up. It's you know I I usually call it Cal Unicornia because uh, realism has died, um, but Corruptifornia is every bit as apt a nickname. Honestly, Warriors Lakers tonight. If you like the NBA, I don't know why I'm excited about this. It's getting like front page coverage on your sports pages. It's interesting. They're they're like low seeds. They're like what an eight and a nine or a seven and an eight. Steph Curry, yeah. LeBron James, loser goes home, kind of. But they're be- barely good enough to sniff the hind end of the playoffs, right? But because it's the same players, a lot of them featured from when they were the best, you know, five years ago. I, I'm going to watch. It'll be the first NBA game I watch this year. Is going to be like an eight take on a nine for some reason. But mm, oh, well, I'll enjoy it. Heck, it could be a good go. game. I don't know. We need sports. I went to a couple of ball games. I was so happy I couldn't stand it. We need the entertainment. We we need to relax. It's part of being human. Uh, You know what? I want to get a little bit more into that big, giant abortion case that's coming down the line. And and I'm going to hit you with some statistics that may or may not shock you about people's beliefs about abortion and what an easy issue this is, something Jack has talked about as well. Uh, you may remember yesterday, during roughly this time of day, we were talking to Craig, the healthcare guru, and it was an utter, well, it was a revealing, honest, hard-hitting, and horrifically depressing segment about how we're spending ourselves into oblivion and the government is lying to us and getting us to vote for things we can't possibly afford. But uh, I said, look, you can still have a happy life as this unravels, you know, you can still do the joys of life, ball games, et cetera. So we got this note from uh, Kevin in Alabama. Uh, after listening to Craig, uh, I was sad to hear that he agrees with me. We're all screwed. Uh, we're both screwed and doomed. In any of his scenarios, much less uh, any of mine, can you please elaborate on how to have a wonderful life? I mean, really, maybe it's worth an extra large podcast with some really smart people who explore the topic. Saving will not help you. Being on board with William Devane and hiding your gold in a gigantic stone <laughs> fireplace will not help you. Invest in Investing in Stop Elon like Jack won't help you. I give us until 2030 until we are all eating our pets, maybe each other. So I say smoke them if you got them because there's no future other than poverty and strife. K-F-B-S-H-I-R-F-R. Keep feeding Baxter so he's ready for roasting. <laughs> That's Kevin in Alabama. Yeah. See, even as uh, during the end times, you can write funny, funny emails like that. There you go. And entertain your fellow man. So a combination of things. Number one, great analysis of this big Supreme Court case, the abortion case. Uh, and what it might mean, what it's going to inflict upon the country, uh, and how easy abortion policy ought to be. It's similar not to not morally easy, of course. S- n- right, but similar to immigration, it's not that controversial. No, it's not. If you if you look at the polling, there'd be an easy solution you could get to that would make the majority of people happy. Right. 
right? If you got everybody in America in a room, number one, it would have to be an enormous room. But if you did, the negotiation would take about 20 minutes, and then we could all go about our business. Mm -hmm. Uh, But more on that to come. Don't go away. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Yo, yo, yo. So the White House asked Israel to de-escalate, or Israel hasn't said they agree to it yet. And the United States, uh, Biden just said, we expect Israel to de-escalate. Well, they may or they may not. Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I read, I misread that, too. Biden tells Netanyahu you he expects significant de-escalation today. His most forceful statement in the conflict so far. Okay. To which... uh Benjamin replies, yeah, we'll see. So a great piece by David French, as he's part of the dispatch crew. Uh, he often writes uh, stories from a Christian perspective. He's an astute political commentator. We've talked to him several times. I often disagree with him, but he's a, I think he's a fine fellow and, and sincere. Um, and he has a piece on the upcoming Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. This is the Missouri, uh, I'm sorry, Mississippi abortion case that we've been talking about that the Supreme Court has agreed to take on. Uh, and he asked, why will this abortion case be more intense than any in recent memory? And I'm telling you, folks, the intensity of the political rhetoric and the demonstrations and the TV interviews and the, the, the tweets and all, it's going to be off the charts by the last five years' standards. Man, that's so hard to brace picture. Yourselves. <laughs> hard to picture, but I think you're right. Yeah. So why so intense? Well, as uh, Ed Whalen pointed out in the National Review, the case provides an excellent vehicle for overruling Roe v. Wade, which we've talked about a little bit. Some people think it's a it's a good decision. Some people think it was a legal doctrine created out of thin air, and it's it's very wobbly. Um, but uh, people believe this might be the best opportunity the Supreme Court will ever have to end the Roe regime. You know, within reason. Four reasons. Number one. The SCOTUS now has six conservative justices, so it can overrule Roe by a supermajority, and that just looks better. Second, because the conservative judges are relatively young, at least several of them are, the ruling promises to be durable. They'll be on the court for a very long time. Third, a ruling in early in Biden's presidency would grant states time to react to the decision before the election, meaning a lot of the dust will have settled. By the time an election comes along. And fourth, and this is extremely significant, and we'll back this up in a bit, but the Mississippi law is is relatively popular. There are only 29% of Americans who think that abortion should generally be allowed after the first three months of pregnancy, the first 13 weeks or so. And I don't understand how that doesn't get interjected into the conversation more often on cable news by someone. Somebody saying, you know, you're acting like this is an atrocity that we end abortion it's an extremist uh, position that we yeah exactly it's an extremist position no a minority of democrats think you should be able to get an abortion in the third trimester right right again less than 30% of americans think that abortion should generally be allowed after the first trimester and we're going to get back to some of those stats in a minute but i wanted to finish up with uh, david french's analysis first uh, he says there are very good reasons why this agreement to hear the case, it's called a cert grant. Uh, anyway, 
why it's causing so much hope among pro-life folks and, and the opposite on the other side. Um, the most compelling argument is the Supreme Court could have done what they did every other time and just not take the case and let let the case die, but they didn't. It only takes four justices to agree to hear a case, but the behind-the-scenes truth is four justices rarely accept cert on truly significant cases unless they feel pretty confident that they have at least a fifth vote for the position they prefer. In other words, they're not going to walk straight into an assured loss. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't. It does not guarantee an outcome of, uh, of course. And he points out, in fact, there were those who thought the Republican-nominated majority Supreme Court accepted review in Planned Parenthood versus Casey to overturn Roe. Instead, SCOTUS reaffirmed the right to an abortion. Interestingly enough, um, yeah. All right, the rest of it's kind of in the weeds. So let me skip over to something Jack has brought up several times, but I happen to have it at my fingertips: Americans' attitudes toward abortion which are remarkably consistent across time. And that's, you know, think about that. Attitudes toward gay marriage, universal health care, you name, you name the controversial issue. I mean, they've, the, the attitudes have changed completely on a lot of things. But abortion has been remarkably consistent. Uh, let's dig in. General belief that abortions should be legal plummets after the first trimester, uh, according to Gallup. And they've been studying this stuff for years. Do you think abortion should generally be legal or generally illegal during each of the following stages of pregnancy? Oh, and I'm sorry, an aside built on an aside. Pew has done some research on this, but Pew's questions are a great example of how a slight change in wording can change outcomes. Um, Gallup allows for the fact that generally illegal Understanding that people of good conscience might think that uh, a fetus that couldn't possibly survive outside the womb is sure. terribly deformed. Yeah. The woman's health is threatened to the point of death, whatever. Right. Virtually all of Americans say, oh, oh, well, that's different. So Gallup includes that. But <clears throat> what percentage say abortion should be generally legal in the first three months? It's almost always been a little over 60%. Right around 60 to 65% of Americans for a long time have said, yeah, it should generally be legal uh, in the first trimester. It's mostly about the woman at that point. The, the fetus is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I don't need to explain it to you. You follow the issue. Okay, so around 60%. It should be generally legal during the second three months. Plunges down to the 20s. The 20s. That the is 20, unbelievable. Between 24 and 28%, depending on what year you ask it. Again, remarkably stable over the last 30 years. And that so. cuts across party lines, I know, because yes. I've been looking at this for years, including, you know, Democrats. So, so many of these, you know, my, my, my body, my choice, blah, 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 all this sort of stuff, including on the left. Yeah, first trimester. But after that, no, no. Right. It's the baby's body. Again, the percentage of Americans who are fine with mostly legal abortions in the second trimester, you can't scrape up 30% ever through the decades. Okay? The mainstream lemming media, the left lemming media, I may go with that. We're trying to come up with a good uh, descriptor, a good term to, to hit the lefty media with. The lefty lemming media would have you believe 90% of Americans, except for those lunatics. Uh, on the right, uh, want abortion legal all the time. And now you're about to get to the third trimester numbers, which I will remind people before you give me the numbers that um, any time any state tries to curtail late-term abortion, activists go nuts. 
Right, right. Because I think they believe if they give an inch, they'll lose everything or something. I don't know. Or they're just extremist lunatics. But the lamestream media goes along with it, acting like it's an overturning of Roe versus Wade. And that everybody's in agreement with them and everybody else is with the media and everybody else is a lunatic. Oh, hey, remind me, it just flipped out of my mind. The 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 evil jackass from California, who's now the uh, HHS head. Becerra. Yeah, Javier Becerra. I want you to know Javier Becerra is in this last group. People who think abortion should be generally legal during the last trimester. It's a similar number as believe George Bush personally brought down the Twin Towers and that the, the, the moon landing was faked. You can't scrape up 15%. Not even It's usually 8, 8 to 10 to 12%. Even your, uh, likely, even your leftiest friends think third trimester abortion is, should be illegal. Or if, or if they're asked in the right forum, they might say, well, it's a woman's right to choose just because they know they're supposed to parrot that response. But if you sat them and said, sat them down and said, no, I'm talking, there's no threat to the mother. It's just a baby that's a month away from being born. Are you really comfortable with aborting that child? In, in truth, they would say, no, no, I'm really not. There is practically nobody but Javier Becerra who believes in that. So long story short, you have two-thirds of Americans who would say, well, you have a, the vast majority of Americans who would say, predominantly legal first trimester, extremely restricted after that. It would be a 10-minute negotiation. Yep, and uh, you'd be easily voted for with solid majorities, and it's n- it's not a controversial subject. And people who don't think Roe's a good decision think it should be in the legislatures for that reason. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Are you familiar with mom? You're about to be. Me mom? Me mom raised me. God bless her. Uh, Also coming up, the future of uh, drones. Every time you dial 911, a drone coming. That looks like that's on the way to a police department near you. Interesting. And the soul-crushing bureaucracy of uh, the immigration court, according to a judge who just quit because he was so frustrated after 20 years. He called it a soul-crushing bureaucracy. It's really interesting stuff. That jibes with everything I've heard. Yeah. Google's search mechanism, like if you type into the bar, whatever it is you're searching on Google. Yes. Beagle puppies. You're using something called BERT. And that's been what the standard has been at Google for quite some time now. And it works pretty good. I mean, Google's by far the most popular search engine out there. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always been happy with it. Uh, I hate the fact that it gives me, you know, ads at the top when it knows exactly what I'm looking for. But, you know, you get used mm-hmm. to it. Um, but it's being replaced by Mum this month, a model for complex searches that is 1,000 times more powerful than BERT. And like I said, I think we were all pretty pleased with Bert, but this is a thousand times more powerful. How powerful do I need? So when you start Googling things, you're going to notice a difference, I guess. It gives you a for instance. I don't know if this is a good for instance or not, but this is a for instance they give you. (laughs) Uh, Below is an example of how mum is used. A question could be asked by the user in the Google bar. Can I use these shoes to hike on Mount Fuji? And you would include a picture of the shoes in the question. No, I wouldn't, because I don't know how. (laughs) Mom would analyze the picture, figure out what the shoes are, relate it to the question of whether or not you you could hide Mount Fuji in them, answer it, and then redirect you to a suitable site, 
if the boots are not suitable or tell you that your boots are perfectly suitable by providing you with an article that explains why. Hmm. And they say that's a thousand times more powerful than what they've currently got. What if I guess because I am a user of the internet and I'm not actually interested in seeing if this works. I'm seeing if uh, how I can break algorithms. I put a pair of boots that are two different boots, right? <laughs> like one's a rain galoshes and one's like a, a stripper platform high heel. <laughs> what is the? What do you do now, computer? You might make mum cry. <laughs> You've made your mum cry <laughs> again. But uh, so I don't know if you notice your Google searches. I don't know. I don't. My Google searches are never that complicated. It's usually a word I don't know. Teat. How do you spell? No, no, no. <laughs> no, I know where to find that. <clears throat> How do you spell? Yeah, I do a fair amount of that. Yeah, it's ironic that that works. You know, it's like looking up a word in the dictionary that you don't know how to spell. How do you do it? And yet it works. I'm constantly looking up Celsius to Fahrenheit because the only thermometers we have around here to check your temperature are in Celsius, and nobody can figure out how to put them back to Fahrenheit. I don't know how that happened, but I'm a fan of whoever did it. Yeah, somebody (laughs) put the thermometers out here that we're supposed to check ourselves with to Celsius. Like the little forehead ray gun style ones? Oh my god, I'm 32. I must be dying. If, If they did it to be a dick, pardon me, then I like them. If they did it because they think it's a superior system, then I hate them. <laughs> it is a superior system, but I was talking to my son about that the other day. He brought up, because uh, they're learning the metric system. And it's so freaking simple. Oh, it is. It's, it's, it's clearly a better idea. There's nothing to memorize, for one thing. Oh, yeah? What's a dozen in the metric system? <laughs> you don't have it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, positive shot. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Oh, uh, boy. Um... <laughs> So I haven't looked this over yet, so I'm doing this cold. Sean highlighted it for me. I will trust that he highlighted it properly. The headline is, um, a city that sends a drone almost every time the police are dispatched on a 911 call. And this could become the future of policing. In Southern California, the town of Chula Vista, drone flights are launched to the scene almost every time someone calls 911. Most everywhere else in the United States, drone pilots have to secure a hard-to-get waiver to fly beyond the visual line of sight or over people. I didn't know that. Hmm. I know people that fly drones over people all the time, but you're supposed uh, to have a special waiver to do that, I guess. How do I know where there are people until I send my drone there? <laughs> <laughs> but in 2018, Chula Vista got a special waiver to do that. That waiver permitted the department, the police department, to create its drone as first responder program. Or DARFPERS. <laughs> <laughs> which allows police to fly over the entire city using small multi-rotor drones that are launched and piloted largely from central headquarters. Uh, in March, the FFA, FAA, not the FF, not the Future Farmers of America. <laughs> I don't know why they're even asking us. <laughs> but sure, go ahead if you want. Go ahead if y'all want to. <laughs> I think this cow got it into the onion patch. Um, so now when a call comes into 911, the dispatcher decides whether or not to send a drone. The drone launches from the department headquarters and flies to the scene of the incident, incident at an altitude of about 300 feet. All the way it records video through its zoom camera lens. The footage is stored in Chula Vista's evidence.com data repository, where detectives and police can access it, as well as the DA's office. The department has denied public access to the footage, claiming it an exception under some rule. So they get to look at it, but you don't. According to the police force, as of March, the drones have flown more than 5,400 missions and played a role in more than 650 arrests. So this could be coming to a town near you. Since March, 5,400 drone missions for the police department. Hey, uh, Michael, do you have the uh, Ogahorn handy? 
Sorry, I almost belched right in the middle of saying Auga, which would have been ironic in a way. Go ahead and hit it. Libertarian concern alert. Libertarian concern alert. This is an official libertarian. Con- if this were an actual libertarian concern, you would. Uh, actually, it is. So yeah. the uh, this is a pretext for the armed government agents to videotape to surveil vast swaths of the town. The pretext being some 911 call, which, as we all know, uh, roughly 30% of those are getting the wrong food at the McDonald's drive <laughs> <laughs> and being angry about it. What exactly are these drones looking for during all these flights? Again, their cameras are on, as Joe pointed out. They're videotaping all the way over to the tra- traffic accident or wherever they're headed. And keeping that stored in a database. Yeah, hello. The Chula Vista Police Department posts detailed re- records online of where their drones fly and why. Many of the flights involve clearly dangerous scenarios, weapon threats, assaults, fires. Others are less so. A person sleeping on a sidewalk, a water leak, a report of someone drunk in public. Hey, don't knock my hobbies. Some are downright weird. Drones were sent out more than once to situations described as fake COVID testing. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm going to need you to pull down your pants. Why? I'm a COVID tester. Oh, well, all right. All right. I'm with the county. Oh, okay. Oh, the county. Uh, There are tragedies. Obviously, Chula Vista's drones fly regularly when police conduct welfare checks and respond to reports of domestic violence. Drones fly to the scenes of child endangerment incidents, attempted suicides, overdoses, um, you know, all the things that police departments do. Um, Suspicious circumstances, suspicious person, unknown problem. Subjects causing disturbance. So there'd be all kinds of trips that the drones would take yeah, that turn out to be nothing. Well, as you saw earlier, they've taken 5,400 missions and played a role in 650 arrests. Well, that means there are roughly, what, you know, 4,900 missions that the drones flew videotaping all the way, and there was no arrest made. Yeah, how about you send them when there's a clear need for a drone? And not just surveil the population and record it because somebody's asking you to drop your pants for a fake COVID test. <laughs> In the wake of intense new scrutiny around police violence, they're shifting to a new rationale for using drones. De-escalation. They argue that sending a drone to the scene of an incident instead of an armed human being is a way for police to get a sense of what's going on from a detached perspective, reducing risk to both police and public. That makes sense. I, I gotta believe if it's a very sketchy situation, you want the police on the way as fast as you can, not send a drone, watch for a while, and then descend, decide to send the police, but. I feel like the best scenarios are when they are used in conjunction, right? The drone may be able to get there two minutes before the, the squad car can. Sure, yeah, it's our eyes in the sky. True. Now, here's a good quote from somebody who's worried about the uh, liberty aspect of it. For generations, the Fourth Amendment was not the biggest limit on surveillance. It was economics. Police had to be somewhat conservative with invasive surveillance tools because they were so expensive, which is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But as these tools get cheaper and cheaper, Fourth Amendment jurisprudence fails to keep up, and you end up with a cheap and affordable surveillance state where the tools that are being used are massively disproportionate to the harms they're combating. That's pretty good right there. And as Glenn Greenwald has pointed out, a surveilled people is an obedient people. Yeah, it's, You just have to be. It's not that the government, the man, didn't want to have video cameras everywhere in your town, videotaping everybody outside at all times. It's just, it wasn't possible. Either the cost of the cameras or the storage was a huge part of it. 
Sure. Um, having a helicopter in the air at all times. When it was videotape and all that sort of stuff, where, where are you going to store gazillions of hours of videotape? But now, obviously, you can store gazillions of hours of digital footage, and you'll just have every bit of town surveilled all the time. The constant hum of drones above. Right, right. There's not a town in America above uh, 25,000 population that doesn't have a 911 call or somebody responding to it 24-7. Sure. Which thereby justifies the surveillance of the entire population all the time. Please, it's not a difficult leap to make. No. And the, the Fourth Amendment is there to protect us from the government. Our, we all and and I'm, pro, getting... I'm pro-cop, pro-law enforcement, and the rest of it. But I also understand the historical uh, reality of the thing. You have to limit their power. We need Go to ahead, Sean. repurpose butterfly nets for drone nets. And then anytime you see a drone, you just scoop it out of the sky. You know, that might be the way it ends up in court. People stopping these drones from flying, the city trying to make the argument that they need them, and then it just keeps going up courts until the Supreme Court decides, yeah, exactly why do you need to send a drone to every location all the time? I, I don't know, but it, it'll be, I'll tell you this, it's going to be a, a, a huge lag time between we're surveilled all the time and the courts finally do something about it. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah. Because look what's happening in Chula Vista. You got a town in America already where they, in the last couple of months, they've sent out nearly 6,000 videotaping drones around the city to just videotape and then store that indefinitely and you're not allowed to see it. Yeah, what about the indefinite storage? I hadn't really contemplated that much. See, you go to a call for the two idiot drunks scrapping in the street. And you get there and you say, all right, break it up there, you boys. Go to your homes. You're drunk. And they do. Why is all of that videotape on the way there, probably on the way back? Why is that being stored? For what purpose? Nefarious purposes. That's why. Wow. So between the, the cameras on corners everywhere in big cities... License plate scanners? License plate scanners, holy cow. Facial recognition technology? We're getting awful close to China for supposedly different reasons, but it'll end up being used the same way over time. It's just to enforce the law. Well, that's wild. Yeah, you have any thoughts on that? Our text line, 415-295-KFTC. It reminds me of something I came across yesterday. I'm not sure if it's interesting or not. You'll have to tell me, and if it is, I'll have Sean dig it up and we can play it later. I don't even know how I got... You know, you, you watch YouTube videos, and then it has suggested videos, and sometimes they're like, why is this being suggested to me? But anyway, it was um, uh, an interview with some old Irish guys many, many years ago in Ireland. And so it was like a 100-year-old Irish dude in 1965. So he was mm. born, like, around Civil War time. Wow. But his his Irish accent was hilariously indecipherable. So when I think of an Irish accent, I think of something that I can understand. Oh, yeah. This old-timey Irish guy, and I just wondered if this is what, you know, nobody knows what our founding fathers sounded like. Nobody actually knows what their dialect was. Um, I wonder if their dialect was so thick if they were alive today, we wouldn't even be able to understand him. Is this (laughs) to understand him? George Washington, he would would speak in, you know, he's speaking English words, but so thick of something that you can't understand a word of it. We a people in order to form a wall perfect union. <laughs> what the? Pardon me? I got the we the people part. On, which page are what we was, on? I'm trying to follow along. What was that about an onion? This old Irish guy, I couldn't understand like a word that he was wow. saying. 
Well, he wasn't speaking Gaelic, was he? Well, no. The, was it English, I don't presumably? think so, because the interviewer, who was a younger guy, even though it was 1965, I can understand him. He sounded like a guy with an Irish accent. So, how long have you been farming in this area? Oh, really that long, you say? He would, really? <laughs> well, it would be burned. <laughs> Anywho. Yeah, dig that up if you can. So, uh, during the Chinese bat fever, and we, we took China down hard uh, during our two of the show. If you didn't get it, grab it via podcast at armstrongandgetty.com. We clapped uh, back. Armstrong. Oh, that's so that that ruined my will to live. Thank you for that. Uh, you can get it. It's uh, Armstrong and Getty on demand. Anyway, uh, we hammered China butt hard for their uh, they may murder 50 million people with the Chinese bat fever. But during it, during the economic downturn, some businesses lost business forever they will not get it back but some demand was just deferred uh, at least one example of a business might surprise you that now is going to have the best times it's ever had mm. maybe you should get a job in this industry coming up next armstrong and getty you say okay yes. so that i just watched his netflix special the other day favorite stand-up comedian i've seen in forever and 100 oh, really 100 wow. g-rated clean like a seinfeld sort of thing a lot of family marriage kid stuff nate bartgazzi check that out on netflix he's so funny phenomenal love that guy um wow okay <laughs> he's the one he's talking about taking his kids to chuck e cheese and how run down chuck e cheese is and he says Chuck E. Cheese looks like it's trying to go out of business, but it can't. <laughs> like, they call up in Sears and say, how'd you pull it off? We want out. Um, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Coming up, an Irish accent you can't understand. Why would you want to stay tuned for that? <laughs> I don't know. Worst tease. I'll explain that for you later. Hey, just real quickly, there are businesses that during the Chinese bat fever uh, crisis will never get the business back. I mean, you can't decide, all right, honey, let's eat six meals a day for the next year so the restaurant industry gets uh, back on their feet. You can't do that. But there are some things, whether it's cars or whatever, that demand remains pent up. And that's true of the tattoo industry. Apparently, the Washington Post with a big piece. Here's this one guy they they feature who's in a little town in North Carolina I've never even heard of, and I, I lived in North Carolina. Um, he's booked for the next 14 months solid. You cannot get an hour with him hmm. for the next 14 months. And they go into the psychology of of loss and stress and the rest of it, and you're taking control of your body and expressing yourself. Blah blah blah. It's mildly interesting, but. Um, you can you can think about that on your own, I suppose. Uh, but they mentioned a couple of things. A little under half of Americans have at least one tattoo. A little under half have at least one tattoo. Mm-hmm. Wow, just under half. Yep, that's amazing. Of all ages, yes. And, well, and gotta... it used to be there used to be a huge stigma not twenty five years ago. Oh yeah, when I was yeah that was that was a big deal having a tattoo when I was in college. Um, so so that's got to be because practically. Everybody between a millennial has a tattoo. Practically everyone. It's mm-hmm. got to be like 90%. Because you get to the older group and it's very low. Right. 
Right. A couple of tattoo facts for you, Jack. In the 1700s, sailors were tattooed with their initials for identification or with small images as a journal of their sea travels. Tattooing, tattooing was illegal and underground in a number of states and cities, including New York City starting in 1961 because of a reported hepatitis B outbreak, and stayed illegal until the 1990s. I get the sense that it's waning with the younger crowd. like The, the current, younger, younger crowd? The younger, younger crowd. But I don't I, know that. I could be wrong. It could just be my socioeconomic area. The final uh, fact to tattoo on your consciousness, Jack. Today, the U.S. tattoo industry comprises 25,000 businesses and more than 30,000 artists and generates $1.1 billion a year in revenue. I might get Galatians 6-9 tattooed on me. I'm actually even considering that. And what does that say? Never tire of doing good. Ah. I was thinking of getting a face tat. My entire face, a map of Nepal, and my nose would be Mount Everest. Yours is a good idea. But it's not. It's not as good. as I hope mine. I got that right. Maybe Galatians six nine, nine might be not. Do not covet neighbor's wife. I don't know. I well, get them all. I get all these sayings. Mr. Even if it's not the that verse, it's a verse. The one and I it's want. A good verse. The Bible. Ne- never tire of doing good. Um, are you done with that? Uh, I am. Let us not become wary in doing good, for at the proper time we will leap a harvest if we do not give up. Yeah, never tire of doing good. It depends on the translation you go with, but um. Did you say reap a harvest or leap a harvest? Why are you leaping over your harvest? No, That's re- idiotic. Re- reap a harvest. I hope you get hour four, because if you don't, you'll have to check the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com, because that's when you're going to hear an old Irish guy you can't understand. And why <laughs> wouldn't you want to hear that? <laughs> what kind of show is that one you listen to all the time, Armstrong and Getty? Oh, all sorts of stuff. News of the day. Uh, old Irish guys with impenetrable accents, all sorts of good stuff. I talk about crypto, kind of. Tattoo statistics. <laughs> Everything you need to know. Wow. Armstrong and Getty.